Good morning. I'll be reading from 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, through chapter 3, verse 10, and this is on page 1858 of the Pew Bible. God's children and sin. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take, our, take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning, Vent. So you're some of the 38 million who chose not to travel this weekend. Isn't that amazing? I think everybody in Wisconsin is either in church or at Broadfest, I mean in Madison. I'm Mike, part of the team here is at High Point, and we have been talking about 1 John and 1 John under the theme of the assurance of faith. And I've had several people tell me this last few weeks that how Nick has unwrapped it has been very helpful because just reading 1 John can kind of sound legalistic at times, kind of heavy, burdensome, but only realize that if you actually look like a Christian, then you probably are. And that's good news. And so we're going to continue in. 1 John 1 starts out with, um, John talking about Jesus coming into the world, who he is, what he's going to do. First John 2 is about how we receive him and how we establish that relationship. And now he's moving into behavior. And so 228 on through 310, we're gonna, the passage we're going to deal with today. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that looks like in our behavior. I titled this, Since We Know, Then We Know. John uses in 28, 29, the word know twice. 
And there's two different words. One of the things that we don't get the benefit of in the English language is different words for every meaning. We say no, and it could be no, it could be I know, and it could be I know. Confusing, wonderful language to learn. But John's using the first no as an imperative. If you know, an absolute, then you know which carries you out into the world. Because I know Jesus, I have the confidence to move forward. It's this experience, something that's beyond just a cognitive understanding of who Jesus is. It's an absolute intuitive knowledge. I know this deep down that Christ is righteous and is the basis of this logical conclusion that I am in Christ because of my rebirth. And, and that's a mouthful to say assurance is a current lifestyle based on a believer's knowledge of the truth in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you're here this morning and you know that you established a relationship with Jesus, then you can have the confidence, and we'll talk about as you live out, you can look back and see, yes, I am in Christ because I act this way. There's a phrase in 22 or 29 that says, born of him. And he's referring to the concept of being justified by faith. And I want to run through that very quickly so we're on the same page. Because some of the 38 million traveled here and your visitors this morning and we're glad you're here. God's part in righteousness or this being justified by faith is he declares through Jesus to all who believe, he declares righteousness. Now righteousness is, is a right standing in God. Then he freely gives that righteousness through the work of Jesus. Because Jesus died on the cross, was buried and rose on the third day, triumphed over death, paid the sin of man, he now freely gives the end game of that to all who believe. And then he provides the Holy Spirit to live within us so that we can actually live that way. Our part is to, first to repent, to recognize that God is God and we are not. He's holy, we're not. He has a better way of living, a way that's higher than ours, and we need that in order to accomplish anything that he says we need and, and we need to do. So we repent, and then by faith, we receive that which he is giving. And then we live a lifestyle of obedience, not out of a have to, but as a get to. I get to honor God through what I do because of something that's coming up very shortly in chapter three, verse one, the lavishing of love on us. He first loved us, so now we're free to love. And then we persevere. In other words, we put one foot in front of the other and we walk forward. I wanna back up just a minute to something that's just very physical. That's a picture of me and 
This is my dad. Notice any resemblance? I was at a wedding over in Kitsap County, which is across the sound from Seattle. And it was a place I'd never been in the church. I didn't know anybody. Dad was parking the car and Estelle and I and the girls and my mom had walked in to this church and this guy, 75, 80 years old, comes up and he goes, where's your dad? And I'm like, good morning to you too. I said, he's parking the car. Can I ask who you are? I was a friend of your grandfather's. We still hadn't exchanged names or anything. And he says, I haven't seen Lou since he was in high school. And he walks off. Thinking, hmm, it was fun. So dad comes in. I said, do you know that guy? He goes, yeah, it was a friend of my dad's. They were best buddies. He knew me based on image. I look like my father. My father doesn't look like me. I look like him. Now, on the other side of the tree is my oldest daughter. So when the girls were little and they were with me, they said, oh, you have cute daughters. When they were with Estel, they said, oh, you have cute girls. Who are you babysitting for? Estel hated that. Eventually, they grew into a place where at least Chelsea looked more like her. But Jocelyn always looked like me. And it was evident because of image. It was evident that when she was born, may remember holding your firstborn? It's an amazing moment. I was 24 years old, and I've got this little bundle called Jocelyn Joy. And I just remember standing there holding her, thinking, she's mine. She is my child and there wasn't anything I would have done for that little girl it still isn't because she's mine and John says in 3 1 that God lavished his love on us and then he did what only a father can do he said this is my child that's an amazing statement the word lavish is is an amazing word we don't use it that much because it's such a huge word, but it pales in comparison to God's love for us because lavish can only be defined by our experience, by my words of love. And often my love definition falls into something that's conditional, something that brings me comfort, performance, and that is so far off what God meant when he said, I love you. And in this relationship, because of Jesus, I give you the right to be called my son or daughter. It means something completely different. It's like, where did this kind of love come from? What planet is it from? Because it sure doesn't come from here. And we struggle with that because of that. There's two things I think stop us from really growing up in Christ. The first is failure to really understand that God does love us. Now, many of you have got that down and you enjoy that. But I, would, I think I can honestly say that weekly, I deal with somebody who's struggling with their faith, with their identity in Christ, because 
they have never allowed the love of God to securely rest in them where they could place their identity in him. Because we come with these phrases, well, you don't know my past. You don't know how much I've messed up. You don't know my family of origin. You don't know my thought life. You don't know, you don't know, you don't know. And I don't. But God does. And God did. And God continues to, and it never allows him to falter in that. He says, I love you. And beyond that, before you ever considered him, he sent Jesus as a demonstration that he does love us. And that is personal. Or people say, well, you know, that's for other people. That could never be for me. I tell you what, if you are a child of God, then it's for you. And if we don't allow that framework to be secure in our lives, it is so difficult when we get out here trying to live out our lives because it's all performance-based and we keep failing and we keep doubting God's love for us and it just doesn't work. And pretty soon we make the statement, it just doesn't work for me. Yeah, I'm glad it works for you but it doesn't work for me. It's not God's fault. It doesn't work for us. It's that we haven't come in and truly allowed ourselves to be loved in that tangible way that's far more greater than a new dad holding his newborn. And all of the emotion in the security of that baby in his arms. That's just a glimpse of the Father's love for us, of the Father's love for you. And if you find yourself wondering right now, I wish I could know that. It's possible to. Three weeks ago, Nick talked about that. He said, if these things are foreign to you, then there's a possibility that when you came to Christ, you didn't come in the full understanding of that relationship. Many of us in this room have not been discipled immediately. That just meant taught what it means to be a Christian. And we struggle. And the invitation is always there by the Father to come back to him and say, help me, teach me. The invitation is always there by any of this, the staff, the elders, the person sitting next to you. What does it really mean to you to know Jesus and to know that he loves you? It says the reason the world does not know him is that it did not know him. My children, well, at least they used to, do what I told them to do, because I was dad. If I told your children what to do, they would look at me and say, you're not my dad. I've had some of your children say that to me. No, kidding, except for a few of you. Um, 
But it, it's so important that we recognize the Father and the relationship that he desires to have with us. Our sonship or our daughtership allows us to live in the confidence of who he is in me and who I am, who I represent. That's assurance of faith. I know because I am deeply rooted in Christ. My salvation was not a fluke. Your salvation was not a fluke. And as those roots grow deep, as we act out here, it gives us great confidence that I am and I am acting as Christ. One of the other things that in uh, 228, 29, it talks about when we see Christ return. Have you ever seen a little kid or an adult or maybe you um, doing something wrong? And then they realize mom or dad's in the room or the boss or some person of authority. And all of a sudden there's a flurry of activity trying to hide what behavior was going on. What was going on? They knew they were doing something that was different, contrary, than what the father's heart was. And all of a sudden, they were caught. And John says, when Christ returns, because you have the assurance of salvation, the work that you're doing, you won't be embarrassed. You won't be ashamed. You won't be caught. Instead, it will be a pleasure for him to come and see what you are doing knowing that there's a familiarity between you and him. You're doing the same kinds of things. You're loving others, you're serving others. You're doing the work of Jesus. Now living out our identity in Christ gives us the confidence to structure our life in a way that we reflect the Father. This is the second thing that I think fouls people up in their growth in Christ. The first is not receiving, fully receiving and understanding that when Jesus comes into your life, there is a transformation that happens. The old is gone, the new has come. I was, um, I just flew in from London for working over in the UK for a couple of weeks and I was supposed to speak, it was not good uh, scheduling, but I was supposed to speak at a college retreat starting that night. Estelle had picked me up down in Greenville, South Carolina and, and took me up to Asheville, North Carolina, deposited me at the retreat center there at the Cove. And I was tired, but I was prepared. I was really looking forward. They said there'd be about 150 college students and they want to go deep in the word. So I went deep in the word and they said, where'd you go? It was miserable. I left that night, they left that night, hoping that the next day was Sunday and not Friday or Saturday. I went back to my room and as much as I wanted to go to bed, I sat down with my notes and the Bible, went back through things, everything was good. Finally, I said, I gotta get some sleep. I told God, I said, just rewrite my notes and I'll check them in the morning. I got up in the morning, same notes. I was so disappointed. <laughs> Don't you wish the Holy Spirit was early sometimes? 
He's always just right on the nose. It's time for me to get up after worship. And the setting was we're in this beautiful dining hall, this big log cabin dining hall, about from here over to that wall and this deep. And that whole wall was a glass wall with an Olympic-sized swimming pool on the other side of it. I am so wishing I was in that pool at that moment, swimming instead of talking to these knuckleheads. And, and I took a drink. I was taking some medicines that dried out my mouth. And so I took a drink. Just as I swallowed, the Holy Spirit dropped that thought into my mind. And so I followed it up with, how many of you grew up and go to church in the box? They all kind of look at me like you're looking at me right now. And I said, you know, where you go to church on Sunday morning and you do your thing, but then you live out your life and church doesn't really change your life Monday to Saturday. And then you go back and you do it again and you do it again and pretty soon it's just this routine that you do called church, which makes you a Christian in the South. <laughs> and so just about everybody but two hands is now raised. And I said, the problem with church in a box is this. Somebody comes in and convinces you, you need Jesus because you're a sinner, and so you take a drink of Jesus. Now that's not too hard to imagine. The Bible says that Jesus is the living water and all this, so the illustration works for a little while, a little breakdown, but let's run with it. That's not what Paul was talking about, though. What Paul was talking about was not taking a sip of Jesus, because if you just take a sip, you're still in control. What Paul was talking about was jumping in that pool. And you can see everybody's head, look at the water, and come back, and light bulbs start to go on. Because that was a completely different concept than they had ever thought about before. Jesus, Bud and NASCAR, not always in that order, was something that I just put on my mantle. He didn't direct my life, he didn't direct my thoughts, but he was there in case of an emergency. He was fire insurance, I wasn't going to hell after all. So I said yes. What Paul meant when you come to Jesus, as talked about in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and following, is that when we come to faith, there is a transformation that is total. And that transformation requires a restructuring of our lives. Now that's really difficult as an American. Because as an American, we are told these other ideologies, these other things are so important that we should each have one of them. A house, cars, maybe multiples. And we give all our energy to these things to accumulate and it takes up our time. And we begin to stockpile with very little thought at times of the kingdom of God and what the kingdom of God actually means and what the kingdom of God actually requires. Because if I'm called to obedience, there has to be something I'm obedient to that's required as a get to, not as a have to in my life. And often what happens is we get so busy with our own lives, we forget about his life in us. 
I think it's really healthy to work on an 80% rule. That 20% of my life is structured for God room. So that I can do some of the things within the rhythms of my own life that aren't all of a sudden obstacles or barriers, they're just things that I can do. For an example, you've got children, there's a 50% chance that they play soccer this time of year. So you go to soccer practices. So you can take the book, it's mindless or whatever, and sit by yourself in the car until soccer's over. Or you can say, okay, Father, help me to give, have new eyes. And look at the other parents who are there for the same reason you are, transportation. And look down and see, okay, who's doing what? And you've never noticed before the guy that always sits in the chair down at the end of the soccer field by himself. There's never been an evidence of a mom. And there's the one little girl that he always drops up and she runs off. And she doesn't really have friends either and kind of looks sad. But he is faithful and she never misses a practice. And so you go, what? Really? Me? Yeah. So you go down and you talk to him. And you find out his life. And you find out some tough stuff in his life. And soccer's over and he starts to, you start to leave and he goes, hey, thank you. And it's like, wow, I was just used by God. It meant something to him. I didn't have to find out who he was and make a second appointment or something. I just had to pay attention in the rhythm of my own life and go do that. Then get your haircut wherever. I choose one place, I pay more than I should. And I see one gal every six weeks so I can have a conversation with her. Estel now goes to the same gal. So every six weeks, the gal gets two conversations. And I know about her marriage. I know about her husband. I know about why she's married. I know why she's wondering why she's still married. She knows I'm a pastor. Work at a church. Council. And last time I was there, all four people in the little area that she cuts hair in and their clans, we were all talking about marriage. They all know I work here. What's God doing with that? He didn't, co well, it cost me a little bit of extra time because she can't talk and cut at the same time sometimes. But I just had to be purposed in the rhythm of my life of getting a haircut, for goodness sakes, and asking God to use me. Because I am so confident of my anchor here, I can live it out over here. And that's really amazing. But it takes me structuring my life for that to happen. Along with structuring comes listening. Listening to the Holy Spirit within that gives me the empowerment to live out that kind of lifestyle. Now, on a daily basis, I miss the opportunities because I get busy with my stuff. Sometimes I just want to put a deflector up there. It says, not now. 
But it's amazing the joy that I find when it's over that I let God use me. And there was something that was profoundly fulfilling that there was room for God. And if we don't structure our lives for him and we don't latch on to the fact that he lavishly loves us, this thing called Christianity can be so rote and routine that it really is a nuisance because it doesn't work. It's not meant to be therapy. It's not meant to be a new way to live life. It's meant to be a relationship based on Christ. Now, another thing we see that I just want to touch on before we move forward is that in the Greek, this justified by faith is a concept of external shaping. Paul, he talks about justification the most in the New Testament, is a Hebrew, and in Hebrew, that same concept is about this God who in covenant with us internally shapes us. So Christianity doesn't end up to be a list of do's and don'ts. It ends up to be freedom to be like my father. It ends up to be a life with his character showing through. We call them the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, all those things that are his, but because his nature is not within us, they begin to leak out. And people begin to notice change in us. Well, you used to not be this nice. What happened? Well, I get. And there's a difference. Because we're not trying so hard, we're just relaxing into the character of the Father. And we're beginning to look like him. You live out what you know. You live out who you are. Growing into the image of God is a challenge, but it's an empowered challenge. The Holy Spirit is within me. And I give testimony to that every day when I do something that's not normal by world standards, like crossing an economic line, a racial line, a social line, or sometimes just the street. And I go do something nice or I don't honk back in traffic. And I pause and let the biker cross. And I just do the little things that are acts of kindness that are not difficult because they're just a reflection of Christ in me. And when I see myself doing those things, I say, ah, that's because of Jesus. It really must be true, I am a Christian. His spirit does indwell me. And I have confidence, I have assurance. To be continually assured of your salvation, here's what you have to do. Watch yourself doing the things that you'd expect a Christian to do, and then keep doing them. Because every one of you every day, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're paying attention, Find yourself stopping and praying for someone or having a thought and praying for them or being nice 
or talking to a stranger or doing the little things that you know a Christian would do. And you're doing them because you are. That's assurance of your salvation. Now, works don't cause salvation, but they do demonstrate it. You should be able to see Jesus being reflected in your daily life. Our behavior is not automatic. It's a choice. I have to get accustomed to the type of lifestyle that God wants me to lead. If the crown that I'm building is bigger than Jesus, I need to put that crown down. It's okay to have a house and cars and various things that we do and have because we need them to live. We can use them as tools of worship for God. But it's not okay to live in that palace at the exclusion of everybody else. It's not okay to be consumed with that ideology that you have no room for Jesus. We have a responsibility to structure our lives to be about the kingdom of God. Jesus came, we receive, and now we persevere in living out this relationship. But every time I live out that relationship because of Jesus, it brings me assurance that he's alive and well and working in my life. I wanna talk just a few minutes in the area of service because this is the one that gets us mostly confused and a bit ticked off at the church and various things. And so I wanna talk about it just a little bit. There's nowhere in New Testament that says the church should go outside and take care of anybody else. All the references are about taking care of us. But because of the heart of the Father, that pushes it outside that command. The heart of the Father loves people, period. They're his creation. When we extend out beyond our tribe, our family, we're acting like the Father acted when he sent his Son for us when we didn't know who he was. He just knew we needed him, and so he acted. When we extend out beyond our tribe in areas that are not comfortable for us, we're acting like God. We're extending out his character, his compassion. We're gonna do a little twist on service at High Point Church. Now, I, I wanna say this before I go any further. In all my years of ministry, I have never come across a church that serves in the capacity in the way that you do. Hats off to you. It's tremendous. What I don't know completely, and this is a conversation Nick and I have been, and Lloyd have been having over the last few months, is why do we do it? We hope we do it because Jesus reigns within us, and he's our motivation. But for some of us who are either new to the faith or have never restructured our lives to give opportunity, it may be because a lot of the things that we have done have been event-based. And so we come alongside because it's gonna be fun. I mean, who wouldn't wanna hang with this crew? You know, fun people, good people. Get out in the sun and do things, great. 
The real question is, are we extending when nobody's looking? So we're gonna do a couple of things that are gonna be a little bit different. We'll still have some events, but for the most part, we're setting some things up as a model for you to mimic. Now, some of you don't need to pay attention to this at all because you're already out there doing what you're supposed to be doing and you look like Jesus and God's really pleased. But some of you need to understand something that's really very important. The staff and the elders at High Point Church, our job is not to monitor your faith and maturity levels. It's yours. It's your job to see if the things that you're doing are reflecting Jesus. It's your job to see if the words that you're saying are a witness to his goodness, to his love. It's our job, Ephesians 4, 12, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So that's what we want to strive to do. So we are going to set up models that you can do sometimes because it's a great way in. I don't know what to do. Therefore, if I do it with somebody, I've got a better clue of how to do it. But the greater thing is you need to take responsibility that when you serve, when you give sacrificially, I want you to ask two questions. One, am I growing in my faith when I'm doing that or am I just feeling good about my actions? And two, how was God honored by what I did or in what I did? And if you're aware of those two things, then your service will be pleasing to God. There's nothing wrong with doing something together, it's fun. There's nothing wrong with going to helping hands and stacking boxes. There's nothing wrong with going and weeding at Hope in a Future. Those are good things. We're called to do those. They're partners. They're, 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 it's, good, it's good stuff. But what we also have to really begin to look at is are our acts of service in the same vein that God would want them to be? In other words, people need boxes stacked, great, stack them. But there's more value if during the act of stacking the boxes and somebody walks by of stopping and have a conversation with them and listening to their story than making sure the boxes are stacked straight. Because people are what matters to Jesus, not straight stacked boxes. What matters is that we take the time to cross the street, to cross the boundaries outside of our comfort so that we actually can reflect this God who broke into a sinful world with a different way because that's what we're called to do. And when what we can do results in a transformational relationship, in other words, a relationship that begins to illustrate who God is and his love for that person where they can say yes. We're tracking the way God meant us to track. Let's watch this video. 
We want to say, you should have sacrificial service in your life. Ways in which you are loving your neighbor as yourself, according to their need. What we want to do is create a, a way that you can enter into that with ministries that we've said, if you volunteer in these areas, you'll be achieving that. We know that the structures are good and the people are good and that they're doing good things. And also that the array covers the full scope of human dignity in life so that we're not overly focused on one thing, like we're only pro-life or we're only crossing racial lines or we only care about old people. In God's sight, all of these people have equal dignity, but it's very easy to get focused on one thing and be disproportionately focused on it and not help more broadly than that and not think more broadly than that. And then we're not thinking as broadly as God is about dignity, humanity, love, truth, gospel. The residents here um, are hardworking as any community. The challenges are that, that um, resources have always been so low that it's always almost like it's set up to fail. And so um, the residents, I would say, don't have an even start as other communities might have. There is no neighborhood center. There's no grocery store in the Allied area. I know that there, in the summertime, um, the Boys and Girls Club, they help the families of children and provide meals and things like that for the summer. But then there's a couple of weeks where they're not open and the children community, they are in need of sandwiches and lunch and things like that. So we were talking about the possibility of where, that's where High Point might be of use. It's all for um, once a month or sometime within that summer um, cycle. Um, help with getting sandwiches, help getting meals, but also have an opportunity to interact with the children, with their family, getting to know them. And then that way the, the relationship can build and, and um, go from there. Needs that we have here at Orchard Ridge is support around academic tutoring, mentoring and making connections with students and building relationships, and food, clothing, also needs around transportation, school supplies. So for me, I would say the most powerful thing that people at High Point Church would be able to do um, would be to be able to give their time, either through tutoring or through mentoring, to build positive relationships. Our kids need a positive adult interaction. As the principal at Orchard Ridge, I have a very strong belief in all of our children. And I know that they are going to do amazing things in life. Um, but it's hard when you feel like you're the child who doesn't have. So how do we provide that support? And I would definitely see that partnership with High Point Church as being an integral part of that for our children at Orchard Ridge. The reason why we're adding some more strategic partnerships, particularly ones that you can get involved in kind of more regularly, is because we only have three strategic partnerships right now, and most of them are not designed to do things regularly. Like we have the baby bottle drive for CareNet, we have the spring workday at Hope in the Future, and these are like one-time events. They're super fun and we're not gonna stop doing it. But they also lack the capacity of really developing transformational relationships, and that's really key, both for us and for the people we're serving. So if we go um, once a year to do a work day on a really nice spring day with really fun people, the idea that that's somehow gonna kill sin and transform our character is not reasonable, right? However, if we choose to work into our, the ordinary rhythms of our schedule, 
showing up at Orchard Ridge once a week and going into a class or whatever that is and to read with those same kids and to make that part of our life and to make them that important, people we don't even know, and to keep doing that and deal with whatever they say to us, and engage in the, whatever the complexities of the relationship are, that in its sacrifice for what we don't do because we do it and in the participation of love and activity in engaging with others in transformational relationships. When those two work together and when Jesus blesses it and works through his spirit, he will do things in us that really create transformational relationships for all four of those reasons, for the intrinsic worth for the glory of God, to change us, to serve them, and to create plausibility for the gospel for the watching world. I can hear some of the brains going on already. I don't have time for that, Mike. You're right. You don't, for two reasons. One, because some of you have never realized that you need to structure intentionally God time. And it was supposed to happen at salvation. The old life was supposed to leave with all of its trapments. And that life was supposed to be restructured with godly, blessings and times and, and opportunities. The other reason is some of you are just busy because you're in a stage of life where you got kids and parents you're taking care of or, and there's no reason to have a guilt trip over those things. It's just what life is demanding right now. And that's okay. We're looking for things to model for you that you can mimic into your life that have a variety of indoors or inroads with multiple outcomes. So like for Allied Ridge, um, towards the end of July, we're gonna have a play Saturday with some of us and some of their kids and families so that they can just play with some people who came to them because they don't have anybody to go to. They don't have the adult supervision to put a game together. So they sit around in small groups and, and talk about it, but they don't get to do it. Or there's a group on Wednesday nights, meet at 4.30 to, 4.15 to 5.30, I think, called the Brotherhood, junior high and high school kids who meet with this mom who have been for the last five years, but she says, I need men. I need a guy who can show up that they can see. Here's a man who hasn't left. Here's a man who's successful at what he does. He keeps his word. He shows up. If somebody could just do that once a month, it would mean so much to these, these boys. They have another group of just girls in that group. After last service, a guy walked up to me and he said, I can do that. I can do that after work once a month. Can I do that? I said, yeah. It just takes showing up. It takes a little bit of intentionality on his way home, and he'll be an hour and a half later that night, once a month. Some of you don't have full-time jobs or you're retired or something. At Orchard Ridge Elementary School, they need math and reading tutors. You wanna break poverty down, you teach kids to read. There are some kids that don't get to read because they're just struggling with it and they need an adult to read with them. Pastor Lloyd's been a reading tutor over there for three years. I went in to meet the principal, Becky. The teachers are, hi Lloyd, 
little kids running by, hi, Mr. Lloyd, because they know him, because he keeps showing up. And the other thing that happened was the little kids smiled when they said, hi, Mr. Lloyd, because they know he cares about them. Where's that come from? They didn't smile when another person, an adult, just walked by them, but they knew there was something unique about him. Now, if you've got a job, you can't do that, but there are 45 fifth graders this year at Orchard Ridge who will not have a pen pal. What's that mean? It means that they all have a notebook that they write some life experiences about that's going to not a parent, not an adult that they know, not a teacher, not an aide, and that person writes back, says, these are my experiences, and they respond something about what they wrote. Happens once a month. A bucket of notebooks will show up out here, and you pick up your notebook, and you respond back to that child, and you put it back in the bucket next week, and the next week it goes back to the school, and they do it on their end, and it, pretty soon it builds a relationship. There's little things that can be done and we'll get you information ahead of time. So this isn't an event type thing. These are some things that are going to happen that you can put into the routine of your life where it doesn't cost you more, but it should cost you. Why? Because we live in a Christian culture that believes in sacrifice. It is because of sacrifice, that of Jesus' sacrifice to us, that we exist. And so we get to pay it forward. We get to allow that to be a form of witness. It's amazing that end of last year, the superintendent of the Madison School District said to the principals, you need to connect to the faith-based people, meaning you. Principal Becky said, we need the Christian influence back in our schools. There are 18 schools in the Madison School District that have adopted partners officially by the school district. All of those 18 partners are churches. You are one of them. That's amazing in this little place called Madison that has the reputation that it has. But see, you're contagious. You're good because of Christ in you. You are the hope of glory. That is Christ in you. And they see that when we step into their life. There is something unique because we don't want something back. There is something unique because we love them. There is something unique because we do it in kindness. And that is not the way of the world. It's the way of the kingdom. John in 3.7, the second part of the verse, says this, the one who does what is right is righteous. How does that happen? It happens because the one who is righteous, Jesus, resides within you. And when you see yourself playing out those things that Christians do, you should be assured that he is present. There should be no doubt, and if there is no doubt in that question, 
then you are incredibly free. You can be assured. Your faith is authenticated by your works. And when you do those works, it assures his presence. Which means we can do these things with joy. We can do these things with a smile. We can do these things without looking at our watch. Because I've built margin into my life. I've remembered that in just the various things that I do, whether it's have a Thanksgiving meal and inviting over an international student, or going to a concert in the park this summer of taking the family next to me that I never really get time to talk with and sharing a picnic while we listen to music and get to know each other's lives. It is so easy because you live every day. Just remember who you are and why you are. It's because of Christ in you that you're free to extend. The band comes. Paul said to Timothy, he said, these things, these things of Jesus, practice them. Get good at them. Not just the rote things of doing, but of being like Jesus. Get good at it. The song that we're going to sing has a phrase in it. It talks about being willing to put down our crowns. In the culture that we live, in, especially in the west end of, of Madison, Dane County, we have a lot of crowns. We have a lot of degrees. We have a lot of things. Where do they rank? Do they rank above Jesus? Is your life fallen into that routine of going to church but not being affected throughout the week? Or does that going and fellowshipping and hearing the word remind you of who you are on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday? so that you can reflect Jesus. Because that's what we're called to do. We're called to be responsible with our faith, with our time, our structures. I want to challenge you. This is kind of where the rubber meets the road for us. If you're confident of the relationship, let it show in your behavior. It's supposed to. And the Holy Spirit is present in empowering you. I'm not pressuring you. This is simply what God's word says. If this, then this. Let's stand.